Three ways to earn online reviews from customers with Garrett Sussman. The In Search SEO podcast is brought to you by Rank Ranger, the all-in-one SEO platform that helps skill your business through data and analytics. Hey, it's David. They say that people buy from people. And in the digital world, people often buy because of favorable online reviews. So when is the right time to ask your customers for a review? And how can you ensure that you don't annoy them in the process? That's what we're covering today with a man who's worked in marketing for over 14 years across a number of disciplines, including content marketing, demand generation, affiliate marketing, and SEO. He's currently the Demand Generation Manager at Rank. A warm welcome to the In Search SEO podcast, Garrett Sussman. Thanks for having me, David. I love this topic. I can't wait to talk. Oh, superb. Well, great to have you um, on board, Garrett, where you can find Garrett over at ipolrank.com. So, Garrett, today you're sharing three ways to earn online reviews from customers, starting off with number one, train employees to ask for them. Absolutely. So whether you're working local SEO, brick and mortar, or online e-commerce, or even a service industry, it's so important to actually make the ask because nine times out of 10, your customers aren't necessarily thinking about leaving a review, but it's so valuable to your visibility online. And as you mentioned, is social proof. So first step, Talk to your employees to make sure that at that moment when your customer is having a positive experience, that you say, hey, if you're liking this, if this works for you, if this makes you happy, do you mind going and leaving us a review online? Almost all review systems, we're not even just talking Google, any third-party review system allows the employees to ask directly except for Yelp, but if it's face-to-face in person, it's not as explicitly against their terms and conditions. I like that mention of um, at that moment they're having a positive experience because I must admit it really annoys me. I'm sure it annoys many people when you just bought something and straight away you're asked to review it and you're thinking, I haven't even got this product in my hands. I can't actually tell you what it's like. You know, give me a moment. Uh, When do you identify when is exactly the right moment to ask that question? It really depends on your product or your service. And a lot of that kind of just speaks to talking to your customers in general and really understanding how they interact with their, with your business. So, you know, whether or not you're at a restaurant and probably at the end of the meal is a good time to ask for a review. Whereas, you know, if you are, you know, an e-commerce site and you're selling a TV, maybe you don't do it right at the purchase point. Like there's no harm in doing it if it's innocuous, but you're much more likely to your point to get the review after they've tried out the product, had a good experience, and then follow up with, you know, that ask. And is it um, a bit shady uh, to try and skew your reviews by doing something like perhaps giving them a little survey to complete and trying to determine how positive they feel about your brand and their experience and the experience with your product that they've had? And then after that, actually saying to them, oh, I'd love you to write a Google review or a review somewhere else for me. Is, is that not something that you should be doing? 
Well, so it's funny that you mentioned that because there are different rules and regulations depending on the review site. You know, Google actually explicitly says you can't incentivize reviews by saying, hey, I'll give you this or I'll give you a discount. And technically, they could actually remove all of your reviews or penalize you if they find out that's the case, if someone reports you. Now, they're notoriously not great at getting rid of you know reviews that break the rules, but that's always a risk. Whereas if you are a software provider and you are getting reviews on like G2, for instance, they actually help you with an advertising campaign and offer like $25 gift cards for someone to write the review. Yelp says, don't ask for reviews in any capacity. So it really depends on the third-party review site and understanding what their terms and conditions are. And if you... Work in a business that um, does have that physical interaction. You, you mentioned a, a restaurant earlier on. Um, you know, maybe some other business like that that, that has that uh, face-to-face interaction with the customer, or at least over the phone as well. Is there any phraseology that you should aim for? And also, is there any percentage that you should aim for in how many people actually proceed and leave a review for you? Well, it really depends on the industry, uh, you know, and the volume of customers. Like if you're at a restaurant, you're going to have a ton of people coming in and out. Whereas if you are a lawyer, you know, you're not going to have hundreds and hundreds of clients. So the ask is that much more important, that much more significant. I think two keys for the face-to-face review is A, making it very easy to get to the review site, whether that's through a QR code, which some people do actually use that will direct them to the appropriate, or a very easy, you know, abbreviated shortened link, perhaps. So making it easy to write the review and removing friction. The other thing is kind of phrasing it in the context of attributes that you want to showcase. You know, you can't tell someone what to write. There are times where they actually do want you to write it for them to make to even reduce the re- friction even more, but obviously it depends on the terms and conditions of the review ecosystem. But if you can say, hey, did you enjoy the pool at our hotel? Maybe by planting that seed, they'll mention the pool in their Google review. And then next time someone is actually searching for hotels with pools, you might be that much more likely to show up and be more visible because of that specific keyword mention. Now, the keywords matter in the actual review content, not if the uh, owner responds to the review with the keyword. That doesn't matter to Google. I love that planting seeds. So maybe you could have a conversation with customers saying, what did you enjoy most about what we delivered? And then that can be top of mind. They can be passionate about whatever it was that they enjoyed most about it. And then you can say, would you mind leaving a review for us? And then that's top of mind straight away. And they've, they've got that positive experience, positive feeling top of mind. So the second way that you'd like to highlight in terms of a way to augment the number of reviews, the, the quality of reviews that you get is email and text drip campaigns. Yeah, so as important as reviews are to us as a business, it's really not always top of mind of the customer. To your point about percentages, yeah, there will be people who go and write that review right away, especially if you make it easy, but a lot of people don't think about it, especially the minute they walk out that door. That's not to say they didn't have a great time, but typically people are much more likely to write a review if they have a bad experience. And so you kind of need to balance that out with all of your positive reviews. So email, text campaigns, if you're able to capture that information 
from your customer, from your client, which is much more likely these days with, you know, uh, you know, POS systems where you're, you know, do you want your receipt emailed to you? You can get the email that way. Then you can send some follow-up emails that aren't too annoying. But remember, if you don't ask, people are not going to necessarily remember. So what I found uh, working at my past job at Grados was actually Sending out emails, maybe three emails over the course of a week or 10 days with a slight reminder, uh, just being like, hey, remember you visited our restaurant, uh, you know, hope you had a good time. Would you please leave us a review? It means a lot to our business or doing it through text. Now, obviously, with any sort of advertising or marketing, you have to make sure that you have consent from your customers to do that. But it's you're much more likely to get the review with that reminder. And if they did have a positive experience, chances are you're not annoying them. I mean, you think about how many newsletters or emails we get that just kind of, you know, slip down and, and you don't even think about it. So making the ask is worth it in the grand scheme of things. Just just have an appropriate tone. Yeah, I was just thinking, actually, um, you, you mentioned um, having an email, uh, a receipt email to you after you've actually bought something physically. Um, I was in uh, a city just last weekend, bought a couple, couple of um, jumpers, sweaters, pullovers, whatever you want to call them, depending on what, what country you're from. And um, I, got, I, I was asked the question, can we email your receipt to you? I said, yes, you know, gave my email address. Now, would it be legal then for them to follow up? with a request for a review or should have they articulated at the time? And is it okay that we send a follow-up email asking you about um, what you thought about the products or something like that? Well, as you mentioned in different locations, it really depends Mm. on the geography, (laughs) right? In the EU, I would assume, now I don't know definitively, but I would assume that it's probably not okay just with verbal consent. You might need some sort of terms and conditions or writing, but I I won't speak to what I don't know. In the US, it's generally okay to at least have terms and conditions. A lot of times, you know, when someone signs, you know, their their online uh, POS or, you know, they, they give their credit card, you can either ask them, train your employees to ask them, or just make sure that they see the receipt visually, digitally. Like a lot of these systems like Stripe or whatever have these processes in place. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, in- I would think, not a lawyer speaking, obviously, common sense says that um, if um, at the time you say, can can we send a receipt to you? And then would it be okay if we just follow up with um, a quick survey just so you can provide feedback on, on your experience today? Just a simple question like that. I would think that majority of people would actually say, yes, that's okay. Um, and then it's possible for the um, the, the customer service person just to take a box just to, to do that. But perhaps, as you say, verbal consent makes that more challenging. But I guess you could record most things nowadays as well to, to have backup as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you always want to err on the side of caution and cover your bases. But I know in the U.S., no one's going like it's very, very, very unlikely that someone would sue you for sending you a, a marketing <laughs> or even report you for sending a yeah. marketing email after like having a good experience. So, but you want to demonstrate that you're trying to do the right thing uh, rather than sneakily send something to someone that they're not expecting. Yeah, I mean, ethically, I think you know there, it's always good to respect and and treat and treat your customers with respect and and you know respect their privacy, respect, you know, respect why their communication, all that. So I, I don't think 
you would risk wise, I don't think there would actually be any consequences, but from human decency wise, it's just the right thing to do. Exactly, exactly. And they're they're more likely to perhaps even socially post positive things about your brand because of that positive experience. And and that kind of leads up to the third point that you were sharing, and that's deliver great customer support and a, a memorable experience. Yeah, absolutely. Daniel Lemon uh, wrote a great book called Talk Triggers, talking all about, you know, back in the day in the US. Um, so one example is at the hotels, they used to leave like mints on the pillow or at Doubletree, they would give you like a fresh baked cookie. And it would be this experience that people that was memorable that people say, oh, you know, like, I want to go back to this hotel, you know, because that little detail that put a smile on my face. I remember a restaurant I used to go to called the Ground round they used to always have a basket full of popcorn you know that when you sat down at your at your table it was unique and they had video games and it was a memorable experience that if I was writing a review you know 12 year old me but adult me at this time if I was going with my daughter would write a review because of that specific experience that you had that gave you this emotional reaction and a lot of times people want to share that to your point whether it's on social media or in a review. And all of this plays into, in the grand scheme of things with SEO, um, these EEAT factors, right? The experience, expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. You know, back in December, Google added the second E experience, and a lot of review content kind of falls under that. And so sharing these experiences through these reviews ultimately have a lot of SEO benefits. Yeah, and that, that kind of book that you were sharing there, Talk Triggers, reminded me of another book, uh, an earlier book um, called The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. And he used to talk about um, trying to create a business as being uh, potentially franchisable. Uh, it doesn't have to be uh, franchised, but you're creating a set of experiences for your customer that is highly re- replicatable. And if you do that, then you know th- that, that would work in this particular aspect of it in terms of um, asking for reviews, if it's highly replicatable and it's easy for your staff to do, you're more likely to get a higher percentage of your customers engaging with it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, and that's why, like, especially in the US, like so many of these franchises are successful, is successful. It's like you think Starbucks, wherever you go, no matter where you go, you're always going to get the same experience and the the experience that you come to expect and that kind of really does drive a certain amount of brand loyalty but the way that plays into ultimately your reviews and your social presence will help the visibility and, and getting new customers and growth so let's finish off with the Pareto pickle so Pareto says that you can get 80 percent of your results from 20 percent of your efforts what's one SEO activity that you would recommend that provides incredible results for modest levels of effort well, aside from automating review requests, no, the, the biggest thing I would say would be internal linking, uh, making sure that every time you create a new piece of content, that you are going back to anything that's topically relevant and linking it to those other pieces of content. So there's that that page rank, you know, uh, link equity that's passed across, as well as using any sort of automated options in terms of, you know, related articles or, you know, top articles that are connected to whatever you're publishing. Superb. Okay. And in terms of automating that and using software to do that, uh, I mean, do you tend to use WordPress plugins to do that? Or is there some kind of system that, that you would recommend to do that in the most efficient way possible? 
You know, so I don't know if if other SEOs will will up, get upset for me saying it, but I am a fan of page builders, uh, Elementor, Webflow, those, and they typically have little sorts of widgets that will allow you to customize and set up automated like posts and articles and carousel, not carousels, but you know, little kind of widgets that will you know continually. Um, add relevant content in an automated way. But there are tons of plugins out there on WordPress as well if you don't use an actual page builder. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good advice. It's, it's, it's the kind of age-old advice that's been good practice for a long time, but it's easy to forget about it and not implement those things. Uh, I mean, certainly in the past, uh, you know, 10 plus years ago, I've always um, tried to have two different sections of links. One is related posts or, or related pages. And the other is um, um, more, um, I guess, authoritative, longer term um, pages. And actually, actually, actually I was thinking probably there's a third type and that's the, the most recent ones as well. So uh, that, I guess that's the three types of links that I would um, probably focus on myself. Is, is that a similar kind of um, way of doing it that you, that you, that you would agree with? Yeah, I absolutely. And I think in terms of like those evergreen longer posts, I think you can even segment it further by what are the high, like the most popular, um, because those typically will have a lot of, you know, kind of authority in terms of they're already performing well. And so in terms of link equity, distributing that, you know, will, will, you know, in terms of rank rate will ultimately help performance for those newer pages to get indexed quickly and then ultimately to get ranked themselves. I've been your host, David Bain. You can find Garrett Sussman over at iPoolRank.com. Garrett, thanks so much for being on the In Search SEO podcast. Thanks for having me, David. And thank you for listening. Check out all the previous episodes and sign up for a free trial of the Rank Ranger platform over at RankRanger.com.